Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List, and welcome to episode 69 of The Weekly List Podcast, which accompanies week 152 on The Weekly List website, theweeklylist.org, and corresponds to the week ended October 12th, 2019. Welcome. So as we've been discussing, as impeachment starts and we arrive at the beginning of the end, things are continuing to escalate. Again, this week we have the longest list of not normal items, this week with 245. Again, to put that into some perspective, up until the impeachment started, which was in week 150, the longest list was 206, and we only had two weeks with over 200 not normal items The first week we hit 225, last week we hit 240, this week we hit 245. So the chaos is increasing. In the last two weeks, notably, Congress was out of session. So I suspect in the coming week, things are going to get even more crazed. What's been driving a lot of the craziness out there is reporting. Our media has done a very good job in digging up different threads. Pelosi is continuing to try to keep the impeachment inquiry specifically focused, but what we're seeing now is a lot of subplots that are coming off this initial inquiry into Trump's call with Ukraine and possible quid pro quo. So in addition to the news this week, notably, and I discuss in the preamble, Trump's Twitter activity has also gone through the roof. And just noticing myself, I mean, in in terms of the tweets themselves, they are official pronouncements of the leader of our country, so they carry some weight. Each week, it's getting harder and harder to find them quoted somewhere in some context. In other words, our media is not keeping up with them either. In a sense, we're normalizing them. But as we've discussed in in this uh, podcast in past weeks, the potency of his tweets, both in visibility and the amount of impact they have, is also commensurately going down. At one point in Friday, in a 25-minute period, Trump sent 33 tweets and retweets. So it is craziness. Uh, I am recording the major ones where they have some implications or, or something to say, obviously, with the increased volume. It's not possible for me to put every single one in there, but the ones that give some context or are not normal, I am still recording and finding some source to quote them from and give some reference. So we're going to get into it, um, but I, I I started off by saying things are we're at the beginning of the end. Uh, I would like to think we're at the beginning of the end of the Trump regime, but if we're not, we're at the beginning of the end or maybe midway through the end of our democracy. The things we're going to discuss this week, um, especially we're going to discuss and spend some time on Trump abruptly and unilaterally deciding to pull troops out of Ukraine, leading to possible Kurdish genocide, which has started this week, uh, are, are unthinkable. But he's gotten away with it, and there's nobody stopping him. So in many ways, we are already an authoritarian state. And that's just another example, as well as Ukraine, of Trump using the powers of the office in a dictatorial kind of fashion and without there being checks and balances. So folks, if this impeachment inquiry doesn't lead us somewhere to get rid of him, we are in many ways looking at the end of our democracy. And I say that not lightly, but uh, with things that are escalating now and are in the light of day, if we allow these things to be normal, 
These are things we're going to discuss this week that are normal in authoritarian states, not in democracies. And we have to you know, question in terms of our, our standing in the world. And that's something we discuss often in this podcast. If we abandon our allies and leave them there for slaughter, what that does in our world standing, which has already deteriorated vastly, and who will trust us? What countries will trust us? Will they form alliances without us? Who are we allied with? Well, this week, we're going to see we're allied with Erdogan, with Saudi Arabia, with Russia. And we're turning on uh, our our former allies and turning on democracies. So um, we're going to go through it this week. Again, I'm going to leave out some of the tweets in this, but you can find them all uh, in week 152. That is up on the website, theweeklylist.org. On Saturday, Politico reported Judge Amy Berman Jackson ordered the White House to preserve records of all Ukraine dealings with foreign leaders, including his interactions with Ukraine. On Saturday, Trump called for Senator Mitt Romney's impeachment. Romney has been one of the few to speak out against him, tweeting without evidence that Utah residents consider their vote for him a big mistake and calling him a fool who plays into the hands of Democrats. Trump also tweeted, and you're going to find the irony in this as we discussed this week, quote, so crooked Hillary Clinton can delete an acid wash 33,000 emails after getting a subpoena. But, quote, I can't do make one inappropriate, totally appropriate phone call, calling it a witch hunt. So remember those those emails, because we're going to be talking more about that and the hypocrisy this week. Trump also tweeted, quote, the first so-called secondhand information whistleblower got my phone conversation almost completely wrong. So now the word is they're going back to the bench. This claim is false. Trump also alluded in his tweets to the deep state and meet with Shifty, which is his one of his nicknames for Adam Shift. On Saturday, Axios reported on a conference call last week with House Republicans. Trump said he called Ukrainian President Zelensky at the urging of Energy Secretary Rick Perry. So we started talking about Rick Perry last week, but you, as we're starting out this week, you can already see the ways Trump is looking to discredit this impeachment inquiry and also start to shift blame. Trump claimed he did not want to make the call, signaling a shift in strategy to distance himself. According to texts revealed in week 151, Rudy Giuliani was the only person pushing Trump to call. Perry was not mentioned. On Monday, AP reported businessmen and GOP donors used ties to Trump and Giuliani to install new board members at Ukraine's massive state gas company, Nafogas, under former President Petro Poroshenko. When Zelensky took office, Secretary Rick Perry met with him and advanced a board of slates for the gas company that included past GOP donors from Texas. It is unclear if Perry's efforts were coordinated with those of Giuliani's allies. On Saturday, USA Today reported Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is fundraising off impeachment in a new campaign ad on Facebook saying, quote, the way that impeachment stops is a Senate majority. On Sunday, in an op-ed, Joe Biden said Trump's time in office, quote, it all comes down to abuse of power, and that the defining characteristic of the Trump presidency is that, adding, you won't destroy me or my family. On Sunday, in a series of tweets, Trump attacked Joe Biden, saying, quote, it is incredible in capital letters to watch and read the fake news and how they pull out all the stops to protect sleepy Joe Biden and, quote, thrown out of his military, his thrown out military son. 
Trump tweeted Hunter Biden, quote, was handed 100000 a month plus plus from a Ukrainian-based company, even though he had no experience in energy. Gee, whose kids are also handed money with no experience and are running our government with no experience and are using emails that are on private servers without experience? Ah, Trump added the Biden family was paid off in capital letters, pure and simple, calling it fake news to stop making excuses for something that is totally inexcusable. All of Trump's treatments in his tweets are false. On Sunday, Trump accused House Speaker Nancy Pelosi of treason, tweeting, quote, Pelosi know all along of the many shifty Adam Schiff lies and massive frauds and, quote, illegal meetings with highly partisan whistleblower and lawyer. Trump added, this makes nervous Nancy every bit as guilty as little Adam Schiff for high crimes and misdemeanors and even treason. So now we're into two days into the week and Trump's already called for the impeachment of Nancy Pelosi and Mitt Romney, which is not how our government system works. And he's also called uh, what Nancy Pelosi is doing treason. And it's two days in the week. On Sunday, NBC News reported a second whistleblower has come forward who, according to the attorney, the first whistleblower, quote, has firsthand knowledge of Trump's calls with the Ukrainian president. The second whistleblower did not file a separate complaint and is entitled to legal protections for cooperating with the inspector general. On Sunday's shows, Republicans brushed off the second whistleblower. On Sunday, Columbia Journalism Review reported the White House refused to send a representative on the Sunday talk shows. None. We're going to talk about that at the end of this week. We've, we haven't seen any of the White House characters this week other than Rudy Giuliani and Trump. Hosts on Sunday shows pushed back on Trump allies, finally, on their talking points. On Sunday, in a contentious interview with Meet the Press, host Chuck, Chuck Todd finally, finally, pushed back with Senator Ron Johnson when he said he does not trust the CIA and FBI imperative Trump's tr- talking points, citing Ukraine helped Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election. Everybody celebrated the chug, finally pushed back, but why did it take 152 weeks, folks? ABC host George Stephanopoulos said to Representative Jim Jordan on Trump asking of China, quote, you're telling me you do not believe what we've seen in the light of day with our own eyes. You still can't say whether you think it's right or wrong. On Monday, House Democrats took the extraordinary step to protect the whistleblower of considering testimony at a remote location and obscuring their appearance and voice after repeated threats by Trump. Democrats are concerned the whistleblower Without precautions, Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee could leak their identity. The whistleblower's attorney is also in talks with the Senate Intelligence Committee. On Monday, Vanity Fair reported, although Senator Mitt Romney will not primary Trump in 2020, his aides say he is casting himself as the lone voice of conscience to sway other Republicans as impeachment unfolds. On Sunday, the Wall Street Journal reported Attorney General William Barr is sparking discord with longtime allies, Italy, Australia, and the UK by working outside the usual channels in his investigation of the investigators. This is our chief law enforcement officer. He's flying around the world to try to dig up dirt and conspiracy theories on, on how the investigation of the Trump campaign started. It's incredible. Um, 
on Barr, Senator Graham defended him, saying he's simply doing his job, while ranking Democrats on the Senate Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner, warned, quote, this could put the five-eye relationship in jeopardy. On Sunday, the Sunday Times reported Prime Minister Boris Johnson, in an unprecedented move, will challenge Queen Elizabeth II to fire him rather than resign in an attempt to drive through the Brexit on October 31st. So, I always viewed the UK as a few steps ahead of us, and we've seen several countries around the world having their elections and turning away from the Trump-like candidates. Uh, we are seeing now things heat up over in the UK ahead of the October 31 deadline for Brexit. Late Sunday, after speaking to... Okay, now we're going to start a major theme of this week, and that is Trump's withdrawal from Syria. Late Sunday, after speaking to Turkish President Erdogan, for Trump, for the second time in a year, upended U.S. strategy in Syria, abruptly announcing the U.S. withdrawal of troops abandoning Kurdish allies. Former Defense Secretary James Mattis resigned after Trump's first threatened to pull out troops in December 2018 after his call with Erdogan. Mattis, however, did not speak out publicly this week. Some Pentagon officials were blindsided by Trump's decision. In a White House statement Sunday and a Trump tweets Monday, Trump cited the U.S. shouldering too much of the cost of fighting ISIS as the reason for pulling out. Yeah, right. On Monday, Trump tweeted, quote, It is time for us to get out of these ridiculous endless wars, many of them tribal, and bring our soldiers home. And in capital letters, we will fight where it is to our benefit and only fight to win. On Monday, AP reported State Department and Pentagon officials held out hopes of persuading Turkey to abandon its expected invasion. Kurds had fought alongside U.S. forces for years in taking on ISIS. Senator Graham called it, quote, a major blunder and, quote, an impulsive decision. Leader McConnell warned a, quote, precipitous withdrawal would benefit Russia, Iran, and Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, and help ISIS regroup. Brett McKirk, the former U.S. envoy for the Global Coalition Against ISIS, who resigned along with Mattis in December, tweeted, Trump is, quote, not a commander-in-chief, adding, quote, he makes impulsive decisions with no knowledge or deliberation. Later Monday, Trump tweeted, quote, if Turkey does anything that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider to be off-limits, I will totally destroy and obliterate the economy of Turkey. It was unclear what he meant. When asked about Turkey attacking the Kurds, Trump told reporters, quote, I have told Turkey that if they do anything outside of what we would think is humane, they could suffer the wrath of an extremely decimated economy. So this is what Trump is saying Monday. We seem to have forgotten that two days later, but anyway, we'll keep going. Later, responding to widespread Republican and evangelical Christian leaders' criticism, Trump defended himself, saying he had, quote, consulted with everybody and adding, quote, I could name other people who are thrilled. On Monday, former Secretary of State Colin Powell said, quote, the Republican Party has got to get a grip on itself as GOP lawmakers flock to defend Trump, adding, quote, our foreign policy is in shambles right now. On Tuesday, Trump tweeted, quote, we may be in the process of leaving Syria, but in no way do we have, have we abandoned the Kurds who are special people. Adding, quote, Turkey, a NATO and trading partner, has been very good. So here we are on Tuesday. 
Trump added, quote, any unforced or unnecessary fighting by Turkey will be devastating to their economy and their very fragile currency. On Tuesday night, Turkish forces were seen moving into the area. On Tuesday, Trump also tweeted, quote, Turkey is an important member in good standing of NATO, adding Erdogan is coming to the U.S. as my guest on November 13th. So in addition to Trump threatening on Twitter and Erdogan ignoring him, he is inviting Erdogan back to the White House on November 13th. On Tuesday, Senator Graham threatened Turkey on Twitter with, quote, sanctions from hell if they move into Syria. Graham said he could get a veto-proof majority in the Senate. On Wednesday, Turkey launched an offensive, so they don't give a shit about Trump. They don't give a shit about Graham. Turkey launched an offensive against Kurdish fighters in northeastern Syria after U.S. pulled back. Erdogan announced the start of the campaign in a tweet. On Wednesday, Trump tweeted, quote, fighting between various groups that has been going on for hundreds of years. USA should never have been in the Middle East, adding, quote, the stupid endless wars for us are ending. So how does the U.S. look now, folks? Trump tweets, he threatens, he says he has this under control. And and the third-rate dictator in Turkey nonetheless moves forward with an invasion, totally ignoring him. And Trump backs down. Trump also tweeted all in capital letters, going into the Middle East is the worst decision ever made in the history of our country, and big picture, the U.S. is greater than ever before. On Wednesday, Senator Lindsey Graham was back, tweeting, pray for the Kurdish allies who have been shamelessly abandoned by the Trump administration, adding, quote, I urge President Trump to change course while there is still time. Representative Liz Cheney, also a reliable Trump ally prior to this, tweeted, Quote, Trump's decision to withdraw U.S. forces from northern Syria is having sickening and predictable consequences, adding lawmakers must and will act. On Wednesday, Gulnar A. Bet, Erdogan's senior policy advisor, told CNN that Trump and Erdogan, quote, reached an understanding over precisely what this operation is and adding Trump, quote, knows what the scope of this operation is. On Wednesday, NBC News reported intelligence officials warned 12,000 ISIS fighters being guarded by Kurds, which is the world's largest concentration of terrorists, could escape, regroup, and attack America and Europe. Later Wednesday, Trump defended his decision to abandon the Kurds, telling reporters, quote, they didn't help us in the Second World War. They didn't help us in Normandy. This statement is factually incorrect and nonsensical. And here we are, folks, just as a side note on that bullet, which is bullet 51, as our my editor was reading through that last night, she emailed me and she said, saying the statement is false isn't enough. Can we say it's nonsensical? So we agreed that the statement about Normandy is both factually incorrect and nonsensical. That's how bad it is. Trump also said the Kurds battled along U.S. forces for their land, adding, quote, with all that being said, we like the Kurds and said it will be hard, not be hard for the U.S. to form new partnerships, saying alliances are very easy. Asked about ISIS fighters escaping prisons, Trump said, quote, they are going to be escaping to Europe. They have to they want to go back to their homes, adding Turkey and the Kurds have hated each other for many, many years. On Friday, BBC reported at least 11 Kurdish civilians, along with dozens of fighters, were killed as Turkey moved into northeast Syria 
tens of thousands of civilians fled their homes. On Friday, Senator Graham pleaded with Trump to, quote, change course while you still can, adding the the reemergence of ISIS is on the way and the ability to recruit partners to fight radical Islam has been virtually destroyed. On Friday, AP reported as Turkey captured more Kurdish-held villages in the border region, aid agencies warned of a humanitarian crisis, with nearly half a million people at risk near the border. Kurdish forces guarding prisons, holding more than 10,000 Islamic State members, were forced to abandon their posts. Putin said, and notably Putin is weighing in here, he doubts the Turkish army has the resources to control the prison camps and warned of mobilizing Russian forces. On Friday, Defense Secretary Mark Asper confirmed the Pentagon plans to send an additional 2,000 troops and equipment to... Saudi Arabia, to, quote, ensure and enhance the defense of Saudi Arabia. Honestly, folks, you can't make this stuff up. And Trump ordered our troops to leave our allies, and now we're defending Saudi Arabia. On Friday, Trump told reporters, quote, Saudi Arabia is at my request, has agreed to pay us for everything we are doing. That is a first. We appreciate that. I... I, (laughs) I need to stop here. Trump is bragging about using the U.S. Army as a mercenary force, that the men and women who sign up for our armed services are being paid to guard Saudi Arabia because they get paid to do so by a foreign government. This barely got noticed in the chaos, but this is an important thing to note that Trump is saying this out loud and getting no pushback. On Friday, a bipartisan group of House lawmakers led by Foreign Affairs Committee Chair Elliot Engel Drafted a resolution condemning Trump's decision to pull troops. The four-page resolution does not name Trump in order to get Republicans on board. On Friday, a Pentagon spokesperson confirmed U.S. troops in the vicinity of Kobani, Syria, came under fire from a Turkish incursion. Earlier, an an official told NPR troops were departing as strikes were too close for comfort. On Saturday, AFP reported Turkey stepped up its assault in Syria, defying threats of sanctions from Europe and the U.S. The United Nations said the operation has already displaced 100,000 people. On Saturday, CNN reported the commander of the Kurdish-led forces told the deputy special envoy of the global coalition to defeat ISIS on Thursday, quote, you are leaving us to be slaughtered. So that's this week. And I, you know, it's so important that Trump, we're going to talk about more developments next week on this, but Trump is aligning himself with Turkey, with Russia, with Syria. We are abandoning our allies. We are putting Europe at risk. We are letting ISIS prisoners go free. And Trump did it after a call with Erdogan. Trump is acting unilaterally. The Republicans are not stopping him. The former regime members who are decorated military veterans like Mattis and McMaster and Kelly are silent. This is why, folks, in many ways, we are already an authoritarian state. Other news. On Monday, a federal judge in San Francisco warned Education Secretary Betsy DeVos she could could send her to jail for ignoring a court order by continuing to collect debt payments from Corinthian College's students. On Tuesday, Leader McConnell's re-election campaign touted a political report showing his wife, Transportary Secretary Elaine Chow's record of granting meetings to Kentuckians. 
calling McConnell a, quote, Kentucky asset. The Trump's regime's Bureau of Land Management announced it would make 725,000 acres of land in California Central's coast open to oil and gas lease sales, paving the way for more fracking after a five-year moratorium. The Hill reported the Trump regime eliminated a decade-old Obama-era advisory board that advised on smart grid innovation as part of Trump's executive order to cut federal advisory boards by a third. On Friday, Senator Gary Peters, the ranking member of the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, criticized Vice President Mike Pence for not sharing information requested on his recent stay at Trump's Dunebag Resort. On Monday, the Washington Post reported Trump's company canceled an event for Anti-Muslim Group Act for America scheduled on November 7th at Mar-a-Lago. Act of America said Trump's company had, quote, caved to the left's bullying tactics. On Wednesday, Esquire reported a forthcoming book on Trump called All the President's Woman, Donald Trump and the Making of a Predator, includes 43 new accusations of sexual misconduct against Trump. One of the 43, Karen Johnson, told the authors Trump grabbed her by the vagina without her consent and forcibly kissed her in Mar-a-Lago in the early 2000s. On Wednesday, a neo-Nazi killed two people on Yom Kippur after unsuccessfully trying to force his way into a synagogue in Hale, Germany, while broadcasting his rampage on Twitch. The Washington Post editorial board warned of a connection to mass murders at a synagogue in Pittsburgh, the mosque in New Zealand, and a Walmart in El Paso, and called for resources and attention to the enemy within. On Tuesday, the New York Times reported Western security officials have concluded an elite unit inside the Russian intelligence system. The unit, known as 29155, has led a campaign to destabilize Europe over the last decade. We could have told you that. The unit underscores Russian President Vladimir Putin's efforts to use hybrid warfare, including propaganda, hacking attacks and disinformation, as well as military confrontation in fighting the West. So that's in Europe. And then on Tuesday, and the story got very little attention in the chaos, the second report by the Republican-led Senate Intelligence Committee found Russia actively worked in 2016 to damage Hillary Clinton and bolster Trump, and that interference is likely again in 2020. The 85-page report, capping two and a half years of work, urged lawmakers to take sweeping efforts to protect the 2020 election, including regulations that would require the disclosure of ad buyers on social media. The report found extensive Russian manipulation of Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Google, and other platforms. The goal was to divide Americans, suppress the African-American vote, and helped elect Trump. The report found, quote, a vastly more complex and strategic assault on the United States than was, was initially understood, citing 2016 was, quote, broader, sophisticated, and an ongoing information warfare campaign by Russia. So those back-to-back stories, folks, on top of the fact that we are pulling out of Syria, which benefits Russia as well, uh, it's sort of like Trump is going off his checklist of what Putin would want to weaken our defense of Ukraine, to pull out of Syria so Assad, which is an ally of Russia, could have Syria. All of these things benefit Russia. So, ugh. You know, it is right there happening in the light of day.
Okay, now we're going to get into other stories related to um, what happened with Trump and Zelensky. On Monday, CNBC reported Zelensky aides dined with former Trump officials, including Sean Spicer and former State Department and HHS officials at Trump Hotel D.C. in April to establish contacts. On Monday, three Democratic House committee chairs subpoenaed the Pentagon and the Office of Management and Budget, demanding documents pertaining to the delay in military funding to Ukraine. The committees gave until October 15th and warned failure to comply, quote, shall constitute evidence of obstruction of the House's impeachment inquiry and may be used as an adverse inference against you and Trump. On Monday, former Ukraine envoy Kurt Volker stepped down as the head of the McCain Institute amid fallout of his role in Trump's efforts to get Ukraine to investigate his political opponents. On Monday, NBC News reported a dozen House Republicans called on Gordon Sunland to resign as a U.S. ambassador to the European Union ahead of congressional testimony Tuesday, citing his Trump-Ukraine texts. On Tuesday, the White House blocked Sunland from testifying. Sunland had flown from to Washington from Europe, and House committee members had returned from a two-week recess to hear his testimony. Sondland's lawyer told House staff members that a State Department official left Sondland a voicemail at 12.30 a.m. the night before, directing him not to appear before Congress. Trump tweeted, quote, I would love to send Ambassador Sondland, a really good man and great American, to testify, adding, quote, but unfortunately, he would be testifying before a totally compromised kangaroo court. Shortly after, Chairman Schiff told reporters of Sunland, quote, we are also aware that the ambassador has text messages or emails on a personal device, which have been provided to the State Department. So again, like Pompeo, yeah, we're going to talk about this story next, who did the lock her up chance and obviously Trump, these hypocrites. The Washington Post reported the use of WhatsApp and other messaging services is fairly widespread at the State Department, but copies must be made. Officials noted the irony that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, quote, went ballistic on Hillary Clinton for that. Shortly after, at a news conference of Trump House allies, Representative Matt Goetz, who is dumb AF, as we like to say, added, quote, this impeachment is a kangaroo court and Chairman Schiff is acting like a malicious Captain Kangaroo. He's so stupid, Jesus. It was unclear what he meant, which was my nice way of saying things. In text with Sunland and Volker, William Taylor wrote, quote, I think it's crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a political campaign. Sunland replied hours later, took hours later for him to reply. I suggest we stop the back and forth with by text. So. At this point, everybody was asking on Tuesday why the White House prevented Sunland from testifying. What happened in those hours where Sunland said, let's take it off texting? Did he go to Trump and ask what to say? Which by the week, the end of the week, we found out the answer to that. Uh, but at this point, people are trying to understand why he got pulled back. On Tuesday, CNN reported after Trump's July 25th call. Anxiety and concern spread among National Security Council staffers that what Trump had said, particularly on investigating Biden, had crossed the line. Trump made the call from the third floor White House residence where he watches television and makes calls before noon, 
A number of aides were not in the room, but were in the Situation Room or on other lines. About a week later, the CIA's top lawyer contacted the top lawyer on the National Security Council. At least one National Security Council official alerted the White House National Security Lawyers. The White House lawyers later ordered the transcript would be moved to a highly classified server as part of an effort to keep most people from seeing it outside the executive branch. On Tuesday, ABC News reported a two-page memo written by a whistleblower a day after Trump's call said one White House official described the call as crazy and frightening. The memo also said, quote, the official who listened to the entirety of the phone call was visibly shaken by what had transpired and seemed keen to inform a trusted colleague within the U.S. national security apparatus. Trump then tweeted, the so-called whistleblower said the call was crazy and frightening, calling it a very big lie. This is false. An official described the call who was on the call to the whistleblower. Senator Graham, chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, went on the offense calling Giuliani to testify. Democrats said they would welcome the opportunity. Giuliani said he has not decided if he would appear. On Tuesday, Trump had lunch with former GOP Congressman Trey Gowdy, who had led the House inquiry into Benghazi about joining Trump's legal team in the impeachment inquiry. It was unclear if Gowdy accepted. On Tuesday, a Washington Post-Sklar school poll found 58% approve of the House opening an impeachment inquiry, 38% disapprove, the first poll to show a majority by the Washington Post. Notably, 3 in 10 Republicans support the inquiry. So this week was important also, and I mentioned in my preamble on the website, there has been a big shift in approval for the impeachment inquiry. So again, the first poll, the Washington Post finding 58% approve. The poll also found 49% said the House should take the steps of impeaching Trump and removing him from office. So that's already half of the Americans. Among independents, 57% support an inquiry and 49% say Trump should be removed. On Tuesday, an NBC Wall Street Journal poll, Wall Street Journal poll found 55% support an impeachment inquiry, the highest level this year. Just 39% say Congress should let finish Trump finish out his second term, which is down from 50% in July. On Tuesday, the Trump regime declared a war on the impeachment inquiry, saying in a letter to House Democrats it would not cooperate with what it called an illegitimate effort to overturn the results of the 2016 election. The letter from White House counsel Pat Ciplione cited the inquiry violated precedent and denied Trump's due process rights and said neither he nor the executive branch would provide documents or testimony. The eight-page letter said the inquiry, quote, violates the Constitution, the rule of law, and every precedent. And the call transcript established, quote, the call was completely appropriate and there is no basis for your inquiry. The letter said there is, quote, no legitimate basis for the inquiry Pelosi is calling impeachment, already underway because the full House has not voted. Trump, however, would not commit to cooperating if the House did vote. The letter added, quote, in order to fulfill his duties to the American people, the Constitution, Trump and his regime, quote, cannot participate in your partisan and unconstitutional inquiry under these circumstances. The move marks a complete shift from last week when Trump said of the inquiry, quote, I always cooperate, saying the allegations were meritless last week. 
and marks a potentially precedent-setting move of non-cooperation. Speaker Pelosi said in a statement, quote, continued efforts to hide the truth of the president's abuse of power from American people will be regarded as evidence of obstruction, adding you will be held accountable. The Washington Post editorial board said of the letter, Trump, quote, is asserting autocratic authority to ignore the people's elected representatives and the Constitution, calling it, quote, a new stage in an already dangerous presidency. On Thursday, in a letter, University of Chicago Law School classmates of Cipollone criticized him, saying by blocking materials and witnesses from the impeachment inquiry, he, quote, distorts the law and constitution. Later Tuesday, Trump quoted a headline from conservative Washington Examiner saying, quote, the big deal whistleblower had a professional tie to 2020 Democratic candidate calling it, quote, a witch hunt scam. On Wednesday, Senator Graham told Fox and Friends he planned to send a letter to Speaker Pelosi saying Republicans will not impeach Trump over the Ukraine call, adding, quote, they're about to destroy the nation. On Wednesday, Fox News cut ties with Trey Gowdy after he had accepted an offer to join Trump's legal team for the impeachment inquiry as part of the House Judiciary Committee. Gowdy had been an advocate for Congress's oversight powers. On Wednesday, the Washington Post analyzed Republicans in the Senate on impeachment. To impeach, 20 Republicans would need to join Democrats. So far, 14 have expressed concerns. 39 senators support Trump unequivocally. And here's another troubling set of circumstances. On Wednesday, a Fox News poll found 51% believe Trump should be impeached and removed. 43% disagree. A 16-point shift from July when 42% were for impeach and remove and 50% were against. On Thursday, Trump attacked the Fox poll, tweeting, quote, I never have had a good poll at Fox News, adding, quote, whoever their pollster is, they suck. And Fox News, quote, is also much different than it used to be in the good old days. Trump also tweeted complaints about, quote, people like Andrew Napolitano, Shep Smith, Donna Brazil, and others, saying Fox News, quote, doesn't deliver for us anymore. It is so different than it used to be. On Thursday, the New York Times reported William Barr, our attorney general, met privately with Rupert Murdoch at Murdoch's home in New York on Wednesday evening. It is unclear who else attended or what was discussed. On Friday, Fox News host Shep Smith abruptly resigned during his show after 23 years at the network since its founding in 1996. Smith said the decision was his own but gave no explanation of why he was leaving. He has been a constant opponent of Trump. He is a delivering news. Trump has attacked him frequently on his Twitter feed, including two days prior, excuse me, one day prior on Thursday. On Friday, when asked about the departure, Trump told reporters of Shep Smith, quote, is he leaving? Oh, that's a shame. Is he leaving because of terrible ratings? If he's leaving, I assume he's leaving for bad ratings. Well, I wish him well. On Wednesday, the New York Times reported on email correspondence within the State Department in which officials were urged to, quote, play down the release of Ukraine aid when it was finally released, saying nothing to see here. The emails also revealed diplomats' frustration with the unexpected freezing of funds that Congress had already approved. Emails from senior officials did not explain why funds were being withheld from Ukraine. 
On Wednesday, Trump sought to discredit the whistleblower, tweeting their facts, quote, have been so incorrect and citing the whistleblower has ties to one of my Democratic opponents in capital letters. Trump also tweeted the whistleblower's lawyer is a big Democrat. The lawyer for the whistleblower, Mark Zaid, responded saying he is a registered independent and that the whistleblowers sent, spent their government career in apolitical roles. On Wednesday, Pence refused to give reporters a straight answer on what he knew about Ukraine, dodging repeated questions. Notably, Pence has not been able to say he did not know about Trump's true interest with Ukraine. On Thursday, 16 prominent conservative lawyers called for an expeditious impeachment probe, saying Trump's asking Ukraine and China to investigate his political opponent violates his oath of office. On Wednesday, the three House committee chairs requested in a letter that Trump's former Russia advisor, Fiona Hill, appear in a deposition on October 14th, as well as turnover documents dating back to January 2017. On Thursday, NBC News reported Hill will appear before Congress next week and plans to testify that Giuliani and Sondland circumvented the National Security Council and the normal White House process. Hill will also testify that the two aides also sidestepped then-NSA John Bolton to pursue a shadow policy on Ukraine. Hill is a Russia hawk and had not wound down her role and had wound down her role before the July 25th call. Giuliani said he didn't know her. And then suddenly, Sunlin, after saying he wouldn't testify Tuesday, on Friday said he would ignore the State Department and White House instructions, announcing he would appear before the House investigators under subpoena next week. But notice that's a day after Hill had publicly said in her own way that both he and Giuliani had circumvented normal processes and conducted shadow diplomacy. On Thursday, an NPR Marist poll found 52% approve of the impeachment inquiry, 43% disapprove. There was a 19-point shift in independence from 54% disapprove in late September to 54-51 approve now. On Thursday, CNN reported Trump is spending hours each day, excuse me, uh, going back to that story, in September, 50% disapproved, 40%, 44% approved. Now it's 54% approved, 41% disapproved. So a 19-point shift in independence. On Thursday, CNN reported Trump is spending hours each day sending frenzied tweets and calling allies on Capitol Hill as impeachment looms. Trump calls Leader McConnell three times a day to stress GOP unity. Aides are setting up campaign rallies in the coming weeks as a way to channel his frustration. He will appear on Minneapolis Thursday, and then his campaign is looking for a venue in Louisiana for Friday. After Joe Biden came out for impeachment on Thursday, Trump told reporters reading from a script, quote, no American should ever face your such persecution from their own government, adding, quote, except perhaps your president. Now we're getting into, and I mentioned in the preamble and as we started out this podcast, that the reporting this week is producing um, offshoots that are equally as bad. And as I've always said, like Ukraine is terrible, but every week we talk about stuff that is equally as bad, if not worse. But now with Ukraine as a starting point, our media is reporting on various offshoots. So we're going to talk about some of that now. 
On Wednesday, Bloomberg reported Trump pressed then-Secretary of State Rex Tillerson to help persuade the Department of Justice to drop criminal charges against Reza Zareb, an Iranian-Turkish gold trader who was a client of Rudy Giuliani. Others who attended the 2017 meeting in the Oval Office were shocked by Trump's request. Tillerson refused and repeated his objections to then-Chief of Staff John Kelly in the hallway. The DOJ did not drop the case. On Thursday, the Washington Post reported Erdogan personally lobbied Trump to get the charges against Zareb dropped when they met at the White House in May 2017. Giuliani also made a pitch to the Department of Justice to have the charges dropped. When Trump made the request to Tillerson, two of Zareb's attorneys, as well as Giuliani, at, which is Giuliani and Michael McCassie, were also in the room. The two proposed swapping Zareb for an American pastor in Turkish custody. The case against Zareb was launched by Preet Bharara, who Trump abruptly fired. Former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein refused to meet with Giuliani. Again, this was his client at that time. And then Jeff Sessions did not drop the case. And we know what happened to Jeff Sessions. On Thursday, Politico reported Lindsey Graham received a hoax call in August from a person he thought was Turkey's Minister of Defense, but turned out to be two Russian pranksters with possible ties to Russian intelligence. Graham mentioned Trump's interest in the Turkish bank case, apparently referring to the case of Reza Zarab. Graham also labeled the Kurds as a, quote, threat to Turkey, contradicting his public position now. On Monday, the Miami Herald reported Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman are Giuliani allies who peddled information about Ukraine corruption involving Biden and Hillary Clinton will not respond to a deadline for documents from House Democrats. The two Florida businessmen are represented by former Trump attorney John Dowd, who also said his clients do not plan to appear for depositions scheduled this week. House Democrats plan to subpoena the two. On Thursday, the Wall Street Journal reported Parnas and Furman were arrested late Wednesday on criminal charges for their alleged efforts to funnel foreign money into U.S. elections and influence U.S. politics. The two, who are both U.S. citizens born in Ukraine when it was a Soviet republic, were arrested while awaiting an international flight out of Dulles Airport, the day before one of them was scheduled to testify before Congress. The 21-page indictment alleges the two engaged in political activities on behalf of one or more Ukrainian government officials, including lobbying, targeting a GOP congressman for help, and removing Marie Yavonovich, who was the ambassador to Ukraine. The indictment also alleges their political giving was funded in part by an unnamed Russian donor and that the two set up a limited liability company called LLC Global Energy Producers to disguise the money. In May 2018, the GOP, the LLC set up by these two, gave $325,000 to a pro-Trump super PAC, and Fruman made donations of $400,000, misspelling his name to, quote, evade the reporting requirements. Between the two, they gave over $1 million to Republicans. Parnas donated to and sought help from former Representative Pete Sessions in removing Yovanovitch. Sessions then wrote a letter to Pompeo saying Yovanovitch was badmouthing Trump in private conversations. 
Parnas and Fruman had dinner with Trump in May 2018. In July, Parnas and Giuliani had breakfast with Volcker. According to Volcker's testimony, Giuliani mentioned investigating Biden and the 2016 election interference. The two set up meetings between Giuliani and Ukraine's then Prosecutor General, Yuri Lutensko. Giuliani and Trump claimed Joe Biden tried to have Lutensko fired, although Lutensko has told the Washington Post that Hunter Biden, quote, did not violate anything. Since late 2018, the two had introduced Giuliani to several current and former senior Ukrainian prosecutors and were a conduit to find dirt on the Bidens. The three had lunch at Trump Hotel DC on Wednesday. So that's, to put that into perspective, Wednesday of this week, hours before they were arrested, Adalas tried to fly out of the country. Parnas and Fruman had lunch with Rudy Giuliani at the Trump Hotel DC. Giuliani, who identified the two as clients in May, told Fox News on Thursday he found their arrests, quote, extremely suspicious. And he's not representing them, though, however. John Dowd also did not respond to requests for an interview. On Thursday, The Atlantic reported Giuliani was planning to fly to Vienna Thursday night. When Parnas and Fruman were apprehended Wednesday at Dulles, they were also headed to Vienna. What a coincidence. I'm sure they're just both going to Vienna, you know, on a, on a it's just a coincidence. They're both going to end up there, all three of them. On Thursday, federal prosecutors from the Southern District of New York formally charged federal campaign finance charges and cited the importance of protecting U.S. elections from foreign interference. Ironically, Rudy Giuliani was formerly the head of the Southern District of New York. A DOJ official said Attorney General Barr was briefed on the investigation in February and informed Wednesday night that the two were about to be arrested. On Thursday, shortly after the arrests were announced, the two were were subpoenaed by the three House committee chairs for, quote, key documents that have not been produced as part of the impeachment inquiry. Hours later, the three House committee chairs also subpoenaed Secretary Rick Perry for documents related to the impeachment inquiry, giving him a deadline of October 18th. On Thursday, Trump told reporters before leaving for a campaign rally in Minneapolis that he hopes Giuliani does not get indicted and that he does not know Parnas and Fruman, saying, quote, I don't know those gentlemen. Trump added, it's possible I have a picture with them because I have a picture with everybody, adding maybe they were clients of Rudy. You'll have to ask Rudy. Trump is seen in several 2018 photos with the two men, and we already discussed that he had dinner with them in May 2018. Politico reported Parnas's relationship with Trump may have begun as earlier than previously reported. At Trump's 2016 election night party, Parnas described himself as a friend of Trump who lived not far from him in Mar-a-Lago. Minority leader Kevin McCarthy said he would donate 111000 given to the two, Fruman and Parnas, to the House Republicans' main fundraising committee and give it to charity. Five Republican campaign committees received nearly half a million dollars from Parnas and Fruman. On Thursday, Andre Kukushkin, a Ukrainian-born California businessman, was arrested in San Francisco on campaign finance violations and appeared in court. He's also named in the Southern District of New York indictment. 
The four defendants named in the indictment, including David Correa, are accused of disguising contributions to two Nevada state office candidates from a Russian businessman to obtain marijuana licenses. On Thursday, the Washington Post reported Barr visited Italy to investigate a conspiracy theory advanced by Trump and Giuliani that Joseph Mifsud was a Western intelligence plant working to discredit the Trump campaign. On Thursday, in an interview with Sebastian Gorka at the Daily Caller, Trump hammered his former Attorney General Jeff Sessions, saying he was a, quote, total disaster and, quote, an embarrassment to the great state of Alabama. On Thursday, the Wall Street Journal reported lawyers for the whistleblower asked Congress if they can submit testimony in writing instead of appearing in person, citing safety concerns that the identity may be exposed. On Thursday, the Wall Street Journal reported that NBC Universal joined CNN in not running a Trump ad using an unsubstantiated claim Biden promised Ukraine $1 billion to fire the prosecutor investigating the company with ties to his son. The ad also accuses, quote, media lapdogs of aiding the Democrats with their impeachment effort, including CBS and MSNBC journalists. Facebook denied a request by the Biden campaign to take down a similar false ad. So the propaganda is here. On Wednesday, CNN reported Matt Drudge, an influential conservative journalist, is souring on Trump. His website has featured overwhelmingly negative news about Trump and impeachment in recent weeks. On Thursday, Representative John Shimkus, who was retiring in 2020, said Trump's decision to withdraw troops was, quote, terrible and despicable, adding he told his staff, quote, to take my name off the I support Donald Trump list. On Friday, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan became the third Republican governor to support the impeachment inquiry. But folks, this is far too few Republicans speaking out. It's, uh, you know, especially with what's happening in Syria, let alone what is being discovered in this impeachment inquiry and other stories, this is a stain on our country. On Thursday, Michael Pillsbury, one of Trump's China advisors, told the Financial Times, quote, I got quite a bit of background on Hunter Biden from the Chinese. Hours later on C-SPAN, he denied making the comment. The Financial Times Washington Bureau chief tweeted an October 9 email from Pillsbury saying exactly what he was quoted as saying. Later Thursday, Pillsbury told the Post, quote, most everything I learned was already public or well known. On Thursday, the Washington Post reported at least four national security officials were so alarmed by Trump's actions towards Ukraine before and after the July 25th call that they raised concerns with National Security Council legal advisor John Eisenberg. There's no inspector general equivalent in the White House. Surprising. Shock, shock. One official on the call went directly to Eisenberg. During the day, two more did. It is not clear if Eisenberg took any action after the call or from earlier reports. Also, within minutes of the call, senior officials, including former NSA John Bolton, were contacted by subordinates. Bolton and others scrambled to get a copy of the call transcript, which was already being locked down. On Thursday, Trump tweeted, Zelensky said, quote, Trump applied no pressure and did absolutely nothing wrong, saying this should be, this is a Democrat scam. That's his new word this week, scam. Adding, quote, but it won't because the Dems and media are fixed. On Thursday, CNN reported Trump's new NSA, Robert O'Brien, told White House staff he plans to count cut the National Security Council staff by almost half. 
and increase the percentage of political appointees, which is another way of saying getting rid of everyone who's not a Trump loyalist. So if, as Trump continues to do this stuff, there won't be anybody to, to tell on him, basically. Uh, and the story before in the wash in the wall, uh, Washington Post is important because there's nobody to complain to. And when people did complain, nothing was done, which is why they went to the whistleblower. Okay, now we're going to get into some big happenings in the court system this week. Uh, remember the lawsuit by Manhattan DA Cyrus Vance to get eight years of Trump's tax returns, personal and his corporate tax returns. On Monday, a federal judge rejected Trump's lawsuit to block Manhattan DA from obtaining his tax returns as part of an investigation into hush money payments during the 2016 campaign. The judge cited, quote, the court cannot square a vision of presidential immunity that would place the president above the law and called the assertion Trump is immune from criminal inquiries, quote, repugnant. The judge also questioned the legal memos from White House lawyers in the 1970s that the DOJ had relied on, saying the arguments they made rely on, quote, conjuring of remote prospects and hyperbolic horrors. Trump's lawyers appealed within minutes, saying, quote, for the first time in our nation's history, a country prosecutor has subjected the sitting president of the United States to criminal process. Trump tweeted the Democrats have, quote, failed on all fronts. So now they are pushing local New York City and state Democratic prosecutors to go after him. And, quote, a thing like this has never happened to any president before. On Wednesday, a federal appeals court judge said Deutsche Bank does not have Trump's personal tax returns. The bank does have returns for individuals and entities named in the subpoena, however. The New York Times reported current and former Deutsche Bank officials had previously said the bank had portions of Trump's personal and corporate tax returns. It was unclear when this bank stopped retaining those returns, which is the New York Times' nice way of saying, it sounds like Deutsche Bank is lying. On Friday, a federal appeals court voted two to one to reject Trump's appeal of a House subpoena for his tax returns with a Trump appointee, Circuit Judge Naomi Rao, being the dissenting vote. Trump will likely appeal. Later Friday, Trump's personal attorney filed an appeal, again claiming he is immune from criminal prosecution. The Department of Justice filed a supporting brief, but stopped short of supporting his assertion that he has, quote, absolute immunity. On Tuesday, the Department of Justice attorney argued against turning over Mueller grand jury materials to House Democrats, citing a 1974 ruling to release normally secret grand jury materials to the House was incorrectly decided. The materials handed over in 1974 were a roadmap to Nixon's impeachment. The judge said, wow, and then added, as I said, the department, that's the Department of Justice, is taking an extraordinary position in this case. And that's, again, the DOG doing Trump's bidding to not let the House Judiciary Committee have the grand jury information from the Mueller probe. And there's fighting it. All these things are happening at once. On Friday, a federal judge ruled the Trump regime violated federal laws when he declared a national emergency in February to get millions and billions to build a wall on the southern border, calling the proclamation unlawful. On Friday, a federal judge dropped, 
blocked a Trump regime policy set to go into effect on Tuesday known as the public charge rule, which would have denied legal residency to immigrants who rely on public welfare. And now we're getting into some of, away from those legal cases, and into some of Trump's acting presidential. On Wednesday, Trump told reporters NBA coach Steve Kerr was a, quote, scared little boy, afraid to answer for not giving an opinion on the Houston Rocket general manager Daryl Morey's comments on China and human rights. Kerr later responded that he has met five presidents, and all I could think of last night was a contrast of what happened in the in 35 years, and it's sad that it's coming crashing down and we're living like this. On Saturday, Trump tweeted, so funny to watch Steve Kerr grovel and pander when asked a simple question about China. He choked and looks weak and pathetic, adding don't want him at the White House. So this is the kind of like, I don't know, I I was going to say middle school bully stuff that happens during the week that I make a list of because it's unusual. Like, can you imagine President Obama, even like President Bush calling an NBA player or manager a scared little boy or anybody. (laughs) This is where we are. But it continues. On Tuesday, Trump attacked Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Frey after the mayor sought a $530,000 deposit to defray expenses of a Trump rally, calling him a, quote, lightweight mayor and adding dump Frey and Omar. Ray responded, tweeting, welcome to Minneapolis, where we pay our bills, and suggested at a press conference that Trump should spend more time doing his job and less time, quote, tweeting garbage out. Later Tuesday, Trump again attacked, quote, the radical left Dem mayor of Minneapolis, saying he is doing, quote, everything possible to stifle free speech. CNN reported the Trump campaign has not paid at least six cities for rally costs, including... El Paso, Texas, they owe almost half a million dollars. Spokane, Washington, Mesa, Arizona, and three other cities. On Thursday, Trump held a campaign campaign rally at Target Center. The rally drew thousands of protesters chanting, lock him up and holding signs. Some protesters clashed with Trump supporters outside the rally. A new department policy banned off-duty police from wearing their uniform, so the police union made red t-shirts which said cops for trump trump tweeted his support saying quote i love the cops for trump t-shirts at the rally trump attacked biden and his family saying biden quote was never considered smart he was never considered a good senator he was only a good vice president because he figured out how to kiss barack obama's ass yes trump said that Trump called Hunter a, quote, loser, saying he knows, quote, nothing about energy and nothing about China, adding, what happened to Hunter? Where the hell is he? I have an idea for a new T-shirt. Where's Hunter? Trump also spent six minutes attacking Representative Ilhan Omar as photos of her wearing a headscarf flashed on jumbo screens, calling her a America-hating socialist and a disgrace. Trump also attacked Somali refugees, telling attendees he will, quote, give local communities a great say in refugee policy and saying, quote, you should be able to do what is best for you in your cities and for your neighborhoods, which means keep America white. Trump also performed an impression of former FBI agent Peter Strzok and Attorney General Lisa Page having sex, saying, quote, I love you, Lisa, and I love you, Peter, before moaning. Lisa, I love you. Lisa, Lisa, oh God, I love you. 
I mean, it, it's the stuff is shocking, folks. This is the leader of our country saying this up on a stage. On Friday, on a conference call with House Democrats, Speaker Pelosi said of Trump's comments on Biden, he has become a, quote, potty mouth, and children are listening, adding this is beyond disgraceful. On Friday, at his second rally in two days in Louisiana, Trump lashed out at Pelosi, calling her Nervous Nancy, saying she hates this country, and comparing the inquiry to a, quote, nonstop battle to overturn your vote. Trump also attacked impeachment, saying, quote, the radical Democrats' policies are crazy, adding, quote, they know they can't win on election day, so they're pursuing an illegal, unconstitutional bullshit impeachment. Yes, he said that. During the rally, Trump abruptly switched topics and aired his grievances, attacking Democrats, including Schiff, who he said, quote, made it up, and creating an imaginary back and forth again with Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. Trump also defended his decision to pull from Syria, saying, quote, I am not president of the world. I am president of the United States of America, adding we reject globalism. We embrace patriotism. On Thursday, in an op-ed, 17 former Watergate prosecutors said Trump should be impeached, citing, quote, there exists compelling prima facie evidence that President Trump has committed impeachable offenses. On Thursday, Mike McKinley, a career diplomat and senior advisor to Pompeo, resigned over plummeting morale at the department and Pompeo's failure to support staffers inserted in the Ukraine controversy. CNN reported one of the reasons he resigned was over the silence in the top ranks of the State Department who are not defending former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Yovanovitch. And the picture this week, folks, is Yovanovitch coming to testify in her badass sunglasses before Congress after Sondland refused to and after the two who were then picked up by the Southern District of New York and locked up refused to. Here comes one brave woman. We don't know exactly what her testimony said because it was behind closed doors, but we did get an opening statement. Uh, she testified before House committees on Friday. She said a top State Department official told her Trump pushed for her removal, personally trumped the, de- the department believed she had done nothing wrong. Her opening statement said undermining loyal diplomats would embolden bad actors who see how easy it is to use fiction and innuendo to manipulate our system and serves the interests of adversaries like Russia. She said allegations circulated by Giuliani allies that she was disloyal to Trump were, quote, fictitious, and there was a, quote, concerted effort against her. And the department had been under pressure from Trump to remove her. Yovanovitch said Deputy Secretary of State John Sullivan informed her Trump had lost confidence in her when she was recalled from Kiev. On Friday, Trump nominated Sullivan to be the U.S. ambassador to Russia. Yovanovitch said she had never inhibited efforts by Ukraine to combat corruption, that she was not part of the discussion in suspending aid, but said recent events would hamper Ukraine's reform and defense against Russia. She also warned private influence and personal gain could undermine U.S. interests, saying harm will come, quote, when private interests circumvent professional diplomats for their own gain, not the public good. On Friday, the White House accidentally said talking points on Yovanovitch's deposition to Democrats the second time it did so this month on matters relating to Ukraine. 
The talking points encouraged turning the table and attacking Chairman Schiff and reminded Republicans not to be concerned with any information shared by her, saying Trump, quote, did nothing wrong. On Friday, AP reported White House aides are disappearing amid impeachment talk, including Sunday shows, which we discussed none of them would appear this week on Sunday, and beyond. White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway's last press gaggle was on September 27th. White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham has yet to hold a daily press briefing. It has been seven months since the last White House daily press briefing. Before I started keeping the list, Marsha Gessen in November 2016 had written about this, what to expect in an authoritarian regime. One of the things she had warned about is a daily press briefing would disappear. It has now been seven months since we have had one, and we haven't had a single one under the new press secretary. On Friday, Kevin McAllenan resigned as acting Secretary of Homeland Security, the fourth person to hold the position under Trump, who announced the departure on Twitter. McAllenan had become more isolated in recent weeks. He told The Post in an interview that he did not have control of, quote, the tone, the message, or public face and approach of his own department. On Thursday... CNN reported the FBI and Southern District of New York prosecutors are examining Giuliani's financial dealings with the two that had been taken to jail, Parnas and Fruman. Giuliani said he was not aware of any law enforcement scrutiny. On Thursday, when asked by CNN if Giuliani could be indicted, Trump said, quote, I hope not, adding, quote, you know, he's got a lot of clients, so I know, so I just don't know. I haven't spoken to Rudy about it. I don't know. On Thursday, when asked by reporters if Giuliani was still his attorney, Trump said, quote, well, I don't know. I haven't spoken to Rudy. I spoke to him yesterday briefly. He's a good attorney and he has my and he has been my attorney. Later Friday, the New York Times reported Giuliani is under investigation by federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York for violating foreign lobbying laws in his work on Ukraine. They are also examining his efforts to undermine Yovanovitch. Giuliani acknowledged his work with Parnas and Fruman to collect damaging information on Yovanovitch and the Bidens and shared materials with government officials and a Trump-friendly columnist. Federal law requires U.S. citizens to disclose to the Department of Justice contacts with U.S. government or media at the direction or request of foreign politicians or government officials. Giuliani claimed to the New York Times he was working for Trump. Parnas and Fruman connected Giuliani, as we've talked about with Lusenko, who was the former, it's the equivalent of the attorney general, Ukraine's top prosecutor. He disliked Yovanovitch's reform efforts and wanted her recalled and saw Giuliani as a way to pass negative information to Trump. Parnas also told people Yovanovitch was blocked blocking his efforts to pursue a gas deal in Ukraine and that one of his companies paid Giuliani hundreds of thousands of dollars. On Friday in the late afternoon, Trump announced from the Oval Office that he had reached the first phase of a trade deal with China. So again, all of this bedlam is breaking, all of these stories Friday, and then Trump suddenly has an Oval Office announcement of reaching a first phase of a trade deal in China, Previously, Trump had insisted on a full-blown train agreement, not a piecemeal deal, but this was a clear effort at distraction and making him look presidential. 
Trump also criticized the Federal Reserve, which he always does, and repeated his call for them to cut rates, saying, we have a great economy, but let's blame it on them. Or he said, quote, but we have a Federal Reserve that's not in step with the rest of the world. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin also pronounced from the Oval Office that the next round of tariffs would not go into effect on October 15th. Wall Street initially chaired the partial deal, but soon cooled, seeing no real resolution. On Saturday, USA Today reported a senior advisor to China's government said the multiple delays in reaching a trade deal have been largely due to actions by Trump and its concerns about the 2020 election. On Saturday, Trump tweeted that the deal with China is, quote, by far the greatest and biggest deal ever made for our great patriot farmers in the history of our country. Both sides acknowledge, however, a resolution is a far way off. On Saturday, The Hill noted after remarks that he made on Monday, Leader McConnell has refused to publicly comment on impeachment. He is also dealing with a growing number of Republican senators raising concerns. On Saturday, Trump tweeted, quote, Schiff is a lying mess, quoting a headline on Fox and Friends based on a Washington Examiner story that Schiff recruited two former National Security Council aides who worked alongside the whistleblower. On Saturday, Trump switched gears and defended Giuliani, tweeting, quote, So now they are after the legendary crime buster and greatest mayor in the history of New York City. Trump also tweeted, quote, he may seem a little rough around the edges sometimes, but he's also a great guy and a wonderful lawyer, adding such a one-sided witch hunt going on in the USA, deep state, shameful. <sighs> 245 items, folks. Congress is back in session this week. Hill is testifying. Sunland is testifying. This is going to be a big week coming. Keep your seatbelt fashioned. Stay aware of what's happening. Keep calling your elected officials and stay tuned until next week. Have a good one.